This sermon was recorded at Highway Palo Alto in Palo Alto, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. All right, good morning, everybody. My name is Ryan. I'm on staff here at Highway. I'm preaching today. You know that I'm preaching today because I'm wearing a college shirt. And, um, but you know it's still me because I have bike grease stains on my new pants. And that's how I just try to keep it authentic. I don't think my wife is here, so I don't think she sees that. Thank you, because I also don't know how to operate the stand. If someone ever comes up here and they do all this seamlessly, you know that it's not me. It's somebody else who came here. Um, so for those of you keeping score, this is my second time preaching, which um, means one of two things. It means either I did a really good job the first time, or as part of my performance improvement plan, I have one more shot. No, that's, that's not funny. That's not funny. This is my life. Um, so something else you may have noticed about me, I tend to deal with stress or inappropriate situations with humor. Um, it's something that I've been really working on. I have this insatiable desire to say something inappropriate at all times. Um, it's something I work on in staff meeting, particularly. Um, and then, so as I was preparing to write today's sermon, I mean, I just, I had so much good material. And then I realized it's because I was really worried about what I wanted to say today. Um, so instead of making jokes, I'm just going to ask for your grace today. Because this week was one of those weeks where I've only preached two times. And I can tell you by far this is the most difficult of those two times. And it was one of those instances where God really laid something on my heart that I was like, this is what I'm supposed to say. And then when you see it so clearly, it makes it really hard to like, and you, you see like in your brain, you're like, this is the passage. This is what God is saying. This is what I'm supposed to share. And as I, as I was trying to write it, I was like, wait, no, how do I really get from point A to point B? And when it's so emotional and it's something you care really deeply about, it's really hard to do that in a logical and cohesive way. So uh, some of the comments from my last sermon was that I was surprisingly logical. <laughs> that, that might not be your comment today if you were here last time. Um, Here's the plan. This is what I'm hoping to do. We're going to start where Steve left us last week. And he talked about being free, freedom from the law, and he left us with a challenge. Um, and then we're going to look at the passage. We're going to look about life in the spirit. We're going to look at what Paul says about what it means to live life in the spirit. And he gave us some guideposts um, about what the fruit of the spirit is and the works of the flesh. And then we're going to look specifically about like, well, what was really happening in Galatia. When Paul talked about this, like, what was he talking about with the Galatians. And then that next step is we're going to look at this in the context of our community here at Highway, both our general community, all three churches, and here at Highway Palo Alto. Um, so and here's a spoiler, because it'll probably help everybody, myself primarily, if we know where I'm going with this at the very end. So this is where we are going. The conclusion here that I've come to after reading about the fruit of the Spirit is that living in the spirit means being called to love one another. Not because it's a nice thing to do, but because that is our Christian duty, to be a visible light of God's love in this world. But we can't love each other if we don't know each other. And if we are afraid to be known because we're afraid of being rejected, 
then we can't be loved. And if we have people in our congregation who are afraid to be known because they're afraid of being rejected, then we can't love them, and we lose out on that relationship. And so, just like Steve left you with a challenge last week, at the very end, I also have a challenge for you. Caveat is, I'm still really working on exactly how I'm going to phrase that. So hopefully, by the time we get to the end, that will be clear. Um, okay, so for those of you, let's start with the easy part. Let's start with the more academic stuff. For those of you who've been coming for a while to Highway, you know that we have been in Galatians for quite a while. And last week, Steve began to make the transition from the questions raised in the beginning of the book, essentially, what does it mean to be a member of the Church of Christ, and began moving towards the application section of Paul's letter, showing us that in Christ we are set free from the law. And the challenge that Steve left us is to think about how do we use our freedom? What do we do with our freedom in Christ? And how are we serving each other? So now that we're up to current day, let's actually look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. A little bit of overlap. I think the first two verses Steve may have read last week, so I hope you'll forgive me that we're double dipping on the Bible. Um, so, verse 13, chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire love is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So last week, in the preceding passage, Paul had warned the Galatians about circumcision, about willfully submitting to be in bondage under the law. As one... and. And although Paul touches in Galatians on the dangers of lawlessness, or as one person described it, unlicensed behavior, it was the opposite extreme, legalism, that actually posed a greater threat to the Galatians. And I think reading this, part of Paul's frustration was also that although the Galatians were willing to accept some of the external features of the law, circumcision and calendaring and that kind of thing, they didn't really appreciate the deeper ethical emphasis of the law. And so they were left with this rigid sort of legalism. The hard part, I imagine, for the Galatians, um, it's not that hard to imagine because I think it's also hard for our current church, is that they probably wanted to do the right thing, right? They didn't say, let's follow the law, let's get circumcised because that would be the wrong thing to do. No, they thought this was the right thing to do. They wanted to do the right thing. And they probably had real questions like, without the law, how do we know how to live? How do we know what to do? How do we know what is right and who is right? And how do we know who is a Christian? 
And that part would have been particularly important for the Galatians, um, especially considering that circumcision was one of the ways that Jews were set apart. So if you become a Christian, like, how do we know who's a Christian if they're not circumcised? So, and, and this idea, this Paul's answer here, like, live by the Spirit, I imagine had to be very hard to comprehend. We're talking about going from a very complex and extensive set of laws that literally governed every aspect of life, and Paul's response is, hey, forget about that. Be guided by the Spirit. It probably sounded a little hokey, right? But, but Paul doesn't leave them totally hanging. He does, provide, he does provide some guidance by listing the works of the flesh and identifying the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know if any of you have hiked any portions of the Appalachian Trail, and I actually I don't know what longer trails in the West Coast look like, but in the Appalachian Trail, which goes from Maine to Georgia, there are painted stripes on the trees, and that's how you know you're going the right direction. And sometimes there'll be different colors to say like there's like a, a side route or something like that. And so if you're hiking and you're out and you're having a good time and you stop seeing those painted stripes, you have a problem. You either need to turn around or if you have cell reception, you should probably call for help because it's a wilderness and you have no idea where you are. And for me, that's kind of, that's kind of how I see the fruit of the spirit that Paul's giving us. He's saying, he's not saying how to live in the spirit. What he's telling us is if you live in the spirit, this is what you will see. Um, and so, I lost my page. I'm going to do that. You really like it when I lose my place. That's probably going to happen a few times today. So, okay, thank you for that support. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so Paul's call to freedom here, and this is important. It isn't a call to unrestrained behavior. It's a call to love one another. It's a call to oneness in Christ and to service to the community. And this part was extremely critical for the church in Galatia. Because while so many other churches, like Corinthians and Thessalonians, had gone the opposite direction, using freedom of the spirit to really as a license to do whatever they want, the Galatians had embraced legalism, almost as if they were afraid of like, falling into that opposite trap. But Paul is telling them that legalism is actually just as bad. And his approach is a little bit different here. It's like in the letter of the Corinthians, he's saying to the Corinthians, hey, I'm hearing about this weird stuff. I'm hearing about incest. I'm hearing about stuff that Gentiles don't even do. Like, that is not what freedom in the spirit means. But to the Galatians, he's saying, hey, just because you've been set free from the law, that doesn't mean lawlessness. And he's saying that while life in the spirit shields us from lawlessness and frees us from the bondage of the, bondage of the law, it also shields us against unlicensed behavior, and it shields us against lawlessness. So if you look, for example, in verse 16... He says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice he doesn't say, in order to live by the Spirit, do not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. It's not a conditional statement. It's not a, this is how you live in the Spirit, don't do these things. It's an if-then statement. He says, if you live in the Spirit, don't worry, you won't be doing these things. Now, as we talk about living in the Spirit and the works of the flesh, I said the next step was to look at what did that really mean in the church in Galatia. So that's where we're going now. It's really important to understand this context because that's kind of how we're going to transition to talking about highway. So although, although he lists, Paul lists, there's a fairly long list of the works of the flesh. There are specific works of flesh that Paul was warning them about that were really specific to the church in Galatia. See, they had become mired in this legalistic infighting, or as one commentator refers to it as an internecine conflict. For the record, I had to look that word up. But what it means is a conflict that destroys both sides. And I think that is a very apt description, not of the church, just not of only the church in Galatia, 
but so many of the conflicts that I personally find myself in on a daily basis. Um, and so we know that Paul is telling the Galatians, by submitting to the law, you've given yourself over to the works of the flesh. But I think that when we think, or at least I'll speak for myself personally, when I hear works of the flesh, or when I've, you know, prior to really getting into this passage, when I would, if you were to ask me about works of the flesh, I probably would have listed things like sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, drunkenness, orgies. And these are things that Paul also lists in, his, in, his, in that verse. But if we look at it, the majority of the sins that Paul lists and talks with the Galatians about are social sins. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. This is what is tearing the church in Galatia apart. And if we don't really think of these social sins as as bad as the sexual sins and the other works of the flesh, look at what Paul says in verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. That's, that's pretty vivid language. This infighting, the gossiping, the factions, like biting and devouring one another. The church in Galatia is in danger of being completely destroyed, not because of the sexual morality sins or the weirdness that was going on in Thessalonia or Corinth, but because of their legalism and their infighting. So when Paul is talking to the Galatians about living and walking in the spirit, it's pretty clear what he's talking about. He means we are called to serve one another in love, like love is how we fulfill the law. Not, not circumcision or a list of rules, but love. So the fruit of the spirit then that he lists stands in pretty stark contrast to the works of the flesh. Love, joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he states, against such things there is no law. Yes, Paul, that is true. There is no, things against, there is no law against such things. But the opposite is also true and probably just as important. There is no law that can compel those things. There's no law that can make you be kind. There's no law that can make you love, right? This comes from the spirit. Or as one commentator said, it is a miracle that we love each other. And that's true when we look at how different some of us are. It is a miracle that my wife, for example, loves me. Um, okay, but unlike the works of the flesh, where there's like different things, the fruit of the spirit is kind of a total package, right? You can't be kind, but not good. You can't show joy, but not love. It's all together. It's one, it's like when you're hiking the Appalachian Trail, you can't just follow one of the painted markers. You've got to follow all of them or else you won't get there. Okay, speaking of getting there, where am I going with this? <laughs> That's a good question. The Galatians were so worried about doing what is right that they gave themselves over to the works of the flesh. Doing right became more about being right, and then they lost sight of what was important. And, we, and we, I think we get that, and we're probably thinking, okay, but what does that have to do with highway? Because I said I was going to you know, bring it back to highway. We've talked about living in the spirit, and we've talked about what that meant specifically in the context of the church in Galatia. So now, let's look at our congregation. As I was preparing for today's sermon, Something you should know about me is I tend to be a macro thinker. One of my social professors described me as a macro thinker, macro minded, but micro hearted, which means if there's a problem, if there's a situation, I tend to think macro scale, how do we fix this in society? This is like where my mind goes. But what I care about are individuals. But as I was preparing for today's sermon, naturally, I began to think about this in a macro context. So Paul is talking about legalism and infighting in the church. My mind immediately jumped to the fact that there are some 33,000 denominations in the church. So that means there are 33,000 times 
that there was a disagreement in a church so severe that people felt the only option they had was to start a new church. That is a lot of times. And then even if we're not thinking about denominations, I'm just thinking about like this presidential election. And we look how split the evangelical community is on things like Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and what is the most important issue to me? Is it abortion or is it race or whatever? And how this is splitting the church community or how the issue of homosexuality is splitting the evangelical community. Like these are big issues. And this is what I think Paul is talking about when he's talking about the devouring and the biting one another that has the potential to destroy the church. So as, as I was discussing with some of my, as I was discussing my sermon with someone, I even said, I think this is what Galatians is really about, this uh, broader American church, because we don't really have this type of infighting and factions and dissensions at highway. As far as I know, there's like nobody here staging a coup to overthrow Dean. Nobody is trying to like wrest control of the post-college community from me, right? Like I was like, so this doesn't really apply to us. And then this person replied, yeah, because we don't talk about anything. And I will tell you, this person ruined my week. Um, <laughs> I had a fairly nice and tidy sermon. I didn't feel 100% comfortable with it, but it was all lined up, something we could all get behind. But this person made me see something so obvious that I had missed it. And it's so obvious because anybody in the post-college community will tell you that this is what I've been talking about for the last six months, about how in the post-college community, we need to create a space where we are free to have difficult conversations, where we can be free to disagree, and where we can be free to be vulnerable and be a real, because that's what I think being a real community is. So I've been talking about this in the post-college community. Our retreat was even focused on beginning this. We're having summer conversations, focused on having difficult conversations. But yet, when I read Galatians, and I thought about preaching today, totally escaped me. So, because they're right. We don't really talk about real issues as a church. Before I go any further on that thought, it's probably good that I step back and explain something. If you've been coming to Highway for any point of time, you know that we don't preach politics from the pulpit. People have different thoughts on that, um, but I tell you that's something that I actually support. Uh, my parents' church, uh, it's July 4th, well, tomorrow's July 4th, so I can guarantee you that my parents' pastor is walking through all the founding fathers, describing how America is a Christian country, and primarily a Christian white country, I think, is the subtext of what he often says. But that is like, and that sermon comes up about once a month, right? And it's like, it is politics every day, all the time in that church. So if you come there and you feel maybe that you're not like a hard right-wing Republican, you're not going to feel welcome in my parents' church. Um, but the thing is, here at Highway, we put a lot of effort into Sunday mornings. We put a lot of effort into thinking about how do we create a space where we can come together as a community and fellowship together. Colin puts in an extraordinary amount of work thinking about what songs do we sing and who is available to sing those songs. And our ambiance team is thinking about how do we make this space like welcoming for people when they come here, that this is important. And we do that because we want to create a space where people can come and feel welcomed and come and feel like they can be a part of our community. We want to create a space where people can come and meet Jesus, not a space where people can come and meet Ryan's personal political agenda. That is really important to us at Highway. But I lost my place again, but I'll find it. Um, 
So part of that reasoning is, and Dean has used this description of an open table. It's a big table. We want lots of people to feel comfortable coming and sitting at that table. Because if people don't come, if they feel alienated at the door, um, then we can't be in community with them. We can't minister to them. We can't allow them to minister to us. Right? We lose out on that relationship. And I mean, and we know how he takes this pretty seriously because last year there was a Supreme Court decision which granted everyone in America the constitutional right to marry. And I, that was like shockwaves. Like it was like a 9.1 earthquake on my Facebook feed of people erupting on all sides, right? And I think 99% of the churches that following Sunday said something about it from the pulpit one way or the other. Highway, no, we are silent, right? Because we want to respect that space. We want this space to be about you coming to meet Jesus, not our personal political agenda. All right, so we understand, disagree or not, we understand why we don't preach politics from the pulpit. But here's a question. In our congregation, are we having these conversations? And I would venture to say that we may be having these conversations with our friends. We may be having difficult conversations on race and homosexuality and other things with people we know agree with us. But are we open to having those conversations with people don't, who don't agree with us, who where people maybe we don't know as well? And if we're not having those conversations, I'd like to ask us to think about why we don't have those conversations. Is it because we want to be polite? Because in America, it's not really polite to talk politics, which means oftentimes it's not polite to talk about race. It's not polite to talk about homosexuality. But, or is it a place because we just don't want to rock the boat? There could be a lot of reasons why we don't confront difficult issues. But I would say that if we're avoiding them because we're afraid of harming the community, if we're afraid of disrupting the community, then what we're really saying is we don't believe our community is strong enough to handle that disagreement. Okay, so some of you may be thinking, you may be like closing the loop on where I'm trying to go with this, and you may be thinking, Ryan, you just finished telling us that the problem with the Galatians was all the infighting, and it seems like I'm asking you to all go over to the barbecue after church and just start arguing, <laughs> right? That is, that is not where I'm going with this. I want to be clear, and hopefully that will continue to be clear. I am not asking us to go across the street and start arguing. But I am asking us to consider a few things. There's an author that I've really come to appreciate a lot of his writing, and I was actually really fortunate, fortunate enough to have lunch with him this past week. His name is Tim Otto, and he lives in San Francisco. And he writes, for the disparate members of Christ's church to be knit together in visible unity as Christ prayed before he journeyed to the cross, each of us will need to go through the difficulty of relating to people who are not like us. This will mean engaging in difficult conversations over coffee in the church foyer and talking about the most controversial topics in the company of the most convinced. Notice he's not saying talking about the most controversial topics and convincing everybody to come to our way of thinking. It's talking about those in the company of the most convinced because that's difficult, right? If you and I disagree about something and I'm able to persuade you to think like me, that's not a difficult conversation. That's a pretty easy conversation. And if I know that you and I agree on race, and I'm like, well, then I'm going to talk to Melinda because I know we have pretty similar thoughts on a lot of things. So that's going to be a safe conversation. That's going to be easy. I'm not going to be challenged in that. That's not what we're called to do. That is not a visible light of unity. That's just an affinity group. So, 
So I, I guess what I'm saying is, what better testimony of God's love could there be, well, think about this, than a group of people who are able to love and worship in unity despite real differences of opinion on important topics? Like, you, might, you and I may disagree on free will versus predestination, and I don't think that that is a huge issue in this particular part of the world. But keep in mind that not that long ago, people were burned at the stake for that disagreement, free will versus predestination. That used to be a pretty big thing in the church. Now, I don't think any of you are like trying to do that after service, right? Like, ferret out the people who disagree with us on free will versus predestination. But that used to be a pretty big topic. Not anymore. But we still have important topics that we can disagree on. I don't think it's very hard for us to think about what those might be. But here's the thing. I already know that this is a diverse group of people. I've had enough conversations, and I know this group well enough to know that we disagree on probably just about every cultural issue facing the church in America today. And, and I want to give us credit for that, that we're able to do that and still like, disagree on those issues and still come together on Sunday morning and talk about that. Because I know, I know we definitely disagree on everything from taxes to the NRA to Donald Trump. But it doesn't count if we feel like we have to hide that. It doesn't count if we, have to, if we feel like we have to hide our beliefs on things because we're afraid of being rejected. You might say, well, Highway seems like a pretty liberal group. I totally support the NRA. I probably shouldn't talk about that, right? Or vice versa. I mean, I, I mean there, there are a lot of issues where we might feel uncomfortable talking about what we believe. And sometimes those are like really deeply held beliefs. Caveat here, I'm not saying come to church on Sunday morning and start campaigning for whatever political issue that you have. That's not, what we're, that's not what I'm asking people to do. What I am saying is that we should be a place where regardless of what we believe, we should feel that we can come to highway and know that even if you find out I believe X, like I will still be loved and accepted and welcomed and be able to be a part of this community. It's one thing for us to be an open table, to say that we're an open table, it's another thing for people to come to church and know that we are an open table. And it's not just, and this is really important, because it's not just about people maybe who disagree with us theologically. I was asked to leave the church when I was in the eighth grade. My family, my dad had had an affair. They went to the pastor for help on how to work on their marriage. And the pastor said, hey, I will counsel you, but I can't have people like you in the church. The pastor then came to me, it was a Sunday morning, he pulled me out of Sunday school in front of everybody, and he said, we can't have people like you in the church. It would be hard to overestimate the impact that that had on my interactions with churches over the next 20 years, <laughs> right? I don't show up to church automatically thinking, hey, here's a group of people who will love and accept me. Honestly, my, and then I had some other experiences with the youth group at a church we went to, my my perspective was that a group of church was probably the most exclusive group of people in the world. So we're sitting here, and I know many of us are thinking, like, we love people. We accept people. But we also have to recognize that that is not necessarily what people think when they come here. So it's not just about creating a space where people know they can disagree with us theologically and be welcome, but there are people who have been wounded by the church. There are people who feel like they're worried about. I had a conversation not that long ago with a young woman who's dating someone who's not a Christian. And she heard about a small group at Highway, a men's group, that had talked about whether women who date non-Christians should be excommunicated. 
She didn't know whether she could bring her boyfriend here. She didn't know whether he would be accepted here. And I was like, yes, you, can, yes, you are. Like, you know, I, 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 that, like, it, I had a visceral reaction to that. But so we're not talking about like crazy controversial issues. There's a lot of, we can't just assume that people are going to feel welcome when they come here. We have to actively create a space where people know that this is a place where people can feel welcomed and accepted. How radical can that be? Pretty radical. Um, I read about a church that created, or starting to create, or at least the time that I read this, they were thinking about creating. <laughs> and when I tell you what they were doing, you can wonder whether this actually happened. They were creating two support groups. One was a support group for traditional, uh, for conservative Christians with a traditional view on homosexuality to walk alongside gay members of their congregation who also had conservative views on homosexuality. They created, were looking to create a second support group where Christians with an affirming theology could walk alongside gay members of their congregation who also had an affirming theology. I don't think most of us, I, I have a hard time imagining how that would work. Because on the one hand, one group must think, well, if you're supporting this other group, then you're not supporting me. And, but they were willing, it seems like they were willing to at least consider that maybe their most important witness wasn't to divine God's will on this particular issue, but rather they were trying to figure out how to live in love with one another in spite of these real differences. And I think the hard part for me here as I think about that, is I don't care what we think about homosexuality. I don't care where your views are on that. And that's not what I'm here talking about today. But I know that we have members of our congregation who are afraid to be known because of their struggles. And they're afraid to be known because they're afraid to be rejected. And I don't care what you think about homosexuality, but we should care about the loneliness of those people. And so my challenge to you, what I'm leaving you with, is are we living our lives in a way to be a visible light of God's love so that people, regardless of what we believe about things, can see that we love them and are willing to accept them and are willing to engage in them and that we are willing to walk alongside them wherever they are, wherever, wherever we are. So that's my challenge. I hope that was clear. Um, if not, I'm free to talk afterwards or ping me for coffee or whatever. I'm like... This is obviously, the, the, the idea of people being, probably because my personal experiences, the idea of people being rejected or people being left out bothers me because this is the place where they should feel loved. This is the place where they should feel welcomed where we can look past our disagreements and accept them. That's my personal opinion. This is only my second sermon at Highway. It might be my last, I don't know. But, but that's just what I want to challenge us to think about. What do